Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning, before you all got here, thankfully it was just Eve and I. Um, there needed to be some warm-up, let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> so I, I so appreciate the time that, that I was able to spend away. Um, you know, it's two weeks, right? It, it really, in the scheme of things, isn't that much. But throughout this week, looking forward to this time with you today, looking forward to our time of worship together, to our time of growing with one another I, I found myself looking forward to that with excitement, looking forward to that with expectancy. And, and is it important to get times away for rest and, and restoration and renewed perspective? Absolutely. We, we have to have those things. But in those times of rest and those times of absence, that's where we, we kind of all of a sudden have what it is that we're doing crystallized and clarified. And, and there's this this reinforcing of the importance of what it is that, that is taking place on a weekly basis, the importance of spending this time with our family. And as we read through Nehemiah 7 this morning, we come to realize that this, this is not a new thing. That even at that time, after all of the work had been done, Nehemiah recognized the importance of making sure that his family was assembled and that no one had been left behind. That no one had been left behind in the midst of this epic turning point in their nation's history. That there were still people that needed to be cared for. And as you take a look at Nehemiah 7, you're going to potentially see that this little chapter happens to be about 73 verses long, and I promise you're going to have lunch today. Um, (laughs) If you start taking a look at chapter 7, this could very easily fall into the category of sections in the Bible that we might be tempted to skip over. But wait, what is our new favorite saying? (laughs) Thank you, Dad. (laughs) There are no wasted pages in God's Word. Matt, this is a huge list of names, and this huge list of names just isn't relevant to me or the situation that I find myself in today. And to that I say, maybe we need to ask a different question. I'm pretty sure that our study of God's word isn't supposed to lead off with, God, make this relevant to my life today. Amen. Maybe we have to adjust perspective and instead, God, I pray that you would reveal your heart to me through your word. Show me why these verses are relevant to you so that I can treat them with the level of importance that they deserve. 
That is the, the prayer of my heart, even though sometimes I do find myself in the first camp. Before the end of the school year last year, Kaylee tapped me to act as a chaperone with her as she and another teacher led a bunch of, it was third and fourth graders, right? And fifth, third, fourth, and fifth graders on a uh, tour of the state capitol to, to Sacramento and some of the, the surrounding historical sites. And there was this ritual that would take place each time we loaded onto or off of this tour bus that we were on, the all-important headcount. A ritual that was performed by two separate people so that there was clear confirmation that we did, in fact, have everybody that we were supposed to have. Now, as I'm not the teacher, I can say that towards the end of the trip, I would have been totally fine if a few people got left out of that. but I guess that doesn't look great for school. So <laughs> the point being that one of the reasons this group of parents that sent their kids and one of the reasons that these kids felt safe going on this trip away from their families was because they knew that there were people keeping track of them. There were people watching over them, making sure that they were safe in whatever aspect of life they were doing at that time. Let's hang on to that for a second as we take a look at what it is that's happening in Nehemiah chapter 7. So God's people returning to God's place to experience God's presence. That's the overarching theme of this book. Nehemiah has been drawn to the task of returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and as a result reestablish God's people in God's place that he has set aside for them. A bunch of people came with Nehemiah and a bunch of other people were already there because they were helping to rebuild the temple that was in Jerusalem that had already been rebuilt before Nehemiah got there. Now, Nehemiah has now pivoted from his focus on rebuilding the wall because now the, the wall is rebuilt, the gates have been rebuilt, everything has been established to now focusing on the people that exist within these walls and gates. He, he wasn't about to just build a wall and be like, okay, we're all good. That was never the point. The wall was a means to an end. So if we look at the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 7, 1 through 7, it says, After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses." Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by family. I found the genealogical record of those who had been first to return, and this is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. 
They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Nehem, and Bana. Yeah. So what do, we, what do we see from that? There's, there's some important things for us to take just from that little section. That there was a strategy that existed to rebuild the wall. And there was a second strategy to keep the wall. There were people that were appointed to specific tasks. Nehemiah names people who fear God to watch over the walls and to take care of the security of the city. And sometimes when you look at that, you're like, well, if these are the people that fear God more than most, like, don't we need them for like being the preacher or something? Like, don't, don't, we, don't they have a more important job than just watching over the walls? But what we see here is even though these men aren't doing religious work, they are taking their work and they are living out their religion in the midst of doing their work. In the midst of a secular job, Nehemiah recognizes that there's still a benefit, there's still an advantage in having a man of integrity and faith involved in it. As followers of Christ, I know that if you look back at, at your experiences if, at, with employers, your, your interactions with other people, that there is and will be some level of interaction, or some level of recognition, excuse me, that says there's something different about how you carry yourself. There's something different about you. And because of that, you need to be in this role. I, I want you to be in this role because of, of what it is that, that you embody. Any type of work that we participate in benefits when the worker values God more than anything else. The times that I have been most successful in my work outside of the church, when I, I have been most successful in the businesses that I have run or been a part of, is when I have, even in the midst of all of the expectations of that job, still prioritized godly character and living out an example that points back to Christ. That is when I have been most successful. What does it mean to value God more? It means that there is a specific perspective and priority that then filters down, that flows down to every other area of my life. 
I'm able to successfully love my wife and my children because I have God as the first priority. If I have my children as my first priority and then my wife under that or my God under that, that is a broken perspective. And can I tell you, that is a common perspective that we see in the world of of child upbringing today. So the, the people diligently guarded their community as well as their family. We see that in, in verse 3. People were called to guard their community, but also they were called to guard their homes. And this, this goes back to a point that we saw when uh, Nehemiah was starting to build the wall. Right When people were, were starting to say, we can't do this, this is too hard, he set them up with a spear in one hand, a sword in one hand, and a, a hammer, a whatever construction tool they were using in the other, and he put them to build the section of wall in front of their house. Let the people know what's at stake. You're not just building this wall for the sake of of feeling good. You're building this wall because if you don't, your family is what is going to suffer. The guards are asked not just to guard the city at large, but specifically their own homes. There is just an extra layer of motivation that exists when I am what stands between my family and the harm that might befall them. But it's not just a matter of focusing on the family. You have to also focus on the community as well because if everybody just focused on their family, there would be this huge disconnect that exists. There has to also be this focus on community. And you can see this very clearly if you stop for a minute and picture kids showing up to children's church. They receive the teaching that they would normally receive in children's church, and a light bulb goes off, and the lessons that they are learning in children's church in that space are the same lessons that they have been learning from their mom and dad at home. And it says, oh, okay, this clicks. This is a continuation of what's being talked about. The difference is what if a child shows up to children's ministries, they learn this lesson that they, they learn in children's church, but that's the only place it's ever lived out. And they go home and none of this teaching exists. There has to be this continuity between being in the family, guarding the family, and the community at large. There has to be a connection between the two. So we see this consistent spiritual walk in Nehemiah that helped discern God's leading for the next steps that needed to take place. We see that in in verses four and five. One of my first jobs in IT was as a help desk technician for a bank with that guy that you call when your computer's broken. You say, hello, IT, and they ask you if you've rebooted your computer or not. That was me. 
There were three or four of us that were responsible for supporting the entire bank. And this was my, my first time working in IT. I didn't have a degree. I was still in college pursuing a degree in business. I was just working based on past experience and on one day of training that I had received with my boss. And to make things even more interesting, I was the only person in my department locally. Everybody else was living in Oregon at the time. My saving grace was this button on my desk phone. Every time that I found myself up against a problem that I couldn't find the answer to, I could press this button, and on the other end of the phone would be a guy named Doug, who seemingly had every answer to every question that I could ever ask. And had it not been for Doug, I don't think that I would have lasted very long in my job. <laughs> and so sometimes we find ourselves wishing that we would hear from God the way that Nehemiah heard from God, right? In verses four and five. But if we stop for a second, we look back at the previous chapters, one through six, we find that over and over and over and over again, that Nehemiah prays and prays and prays and prays. For Nehemiah, God was not the break glass in case of emergency button. He, God was Nehemiah's Doug button. In every circumstance, Nehemiah knew that God was there and that he wanted to be involved. The other benefit that comes from that constant contact, that constant level of relationship, that ongoing relationship with our Father God, is that when we are in that level of relationship, we're able to discern His voice above the noise of everything else that is going on. Because we're familiar, we, we know what His voice sounds like. Nehemiah understood that the people of God would not thrive unless some of them sacrificed to see it happen. We see that in verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah goes to these groups of people that are living in the surrounding towns. They've, they've all moved out of the city of Jerusalem because there weren't any walls. It wasn't safe to live there. Why would we live in this place? It's totally broken down. He goes to all of these people that are living outside of the city and says, hey, I need you to get some skin in the game and I need some of you to move from these surrounding cities and to move back in so that there are actually people in this city. Otherwise, somebody's just gonna come take it again. Some of these people are going to have to invest themselves. And what we start to do is we start to see Nehemiah setting kind of almost like a buddy system on making sure that all of these people are accounted for. We see this genealogy being brought out and, and everybody's kind of taking a head count of, is everybody on the bus? We've gone through this process of rebuilding the walls. Now we need to make sure everybody gets on the bus. There's this community that needs to exist. God's people are too important just to let somebody fall off the truck. We, we have to know about it. Can I say that as a pastor, sometimes it is easy to accidentally let people fall off the back of the truck? Sometimes we are so focused on our programs and our routines and the things that, that 
are, are happening that we forget about the relationships that we're supposed to have that say, hey, come alongside and be part of this. And we just let people fall off the back of the truck. Why, what is it, why does it matter that there is this buddy system that exists? Oliver just got back from summer camp. And when he is, uh, went down to the river to go swim, they had a buddy system. Said, hey, when the whistle blows, you know where your other person is. Why does that matter? Because they're looking out for each other. They, they're aware of one another. And if one of those people is gone, well, my goodness, you should probably go find them. Maybe this is ringing some bells for some level of expectation within the body of Christ. Maybe we're supposed to have some level of relationship with the people in our church family that says when they're not here, we need to kind of figure out, hey, what's going on in your life? What is it that is, is causing you to be away and apart from this church body? Because we need you here. Now, this isn't like a let's go hound everybody at church. All of a sudden, I'm going to start like peering into everybody's front windows and like looking through the shades and just being really awkward about it. No, that, that's not what we're trying to do. But it demonstrates the level of relationship that's supposed to exist. The level of family that is expected. Verses 8 through 73. We're not going to read those. I need you to trust that I have read them. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you specifically what it says. It's this list of different names and the, the people that, that come with these specific people groups. So we have uh, in this particular people group, the, the servants within the temple, there was this many hundreds of people that came from that. There were this many who were descendants of, of the servants of Solomon. And the, the list kind of goes on and on and on. And it's talking about all of these different groups of people that served in different ways. And one of the groups... <laughs> This kind of just made me think back to like those. Have you guys ever lost like an important document? Like, has there ever been that, hey, you need to like go apply for this thing and you need to give them this piece of paper and you're just like, I don't have that piece of paper. This chapter says that um, that happened in the Old Testament too. <laughs> there, there's this group of people that were supposed to be able to prove that they were of the bloodline of Levi and they lost that document. And so they were like, sorry, you're, you're out of the club. The, you don't get to participate in, in this particular process because you don't have the right papers. So that just kind of made me laugh for a minute because there have absolutely been times where Kaylee and I are frantically trying to find one of our kids' social security cards or, you know, whatever the, the case. We, we know exactly where those are. That's right. <laughs> so even happened back then. But we see this list of people being called out, and there's some consistencies that we see. God used everyday people. That, that's the, the number one takeaway that you can get from this list, is all of these people are just regular, ordinary people. Nehemiah was a regular, ordinary people. Remember what we said about the only thing notable about Nehemiah's dad? 
was that he was Nehemiah's dad. God uses regular people. But the expectation of these people was threefold, that they would be present. That there needed to be presence within the city. A city with no people in it is pointless. There was an expectation that these people would serve. Nehemiah recognized the giftings that existed in these people's lives, and he placed them in places where their giftings could be used. And then finally, there's these, this expectation of resources being contributed. So we have the, the people have to be there, the people have to serve, and then there has to be a level of contribution that takes place. There is this expectation that if you are going to say that this is the most important aspect of your life, then there has to also be some level of buy-in with that, and buy-in being financial, being uh, material, as well as time. And the, uh, what we see is this kind of accounting of all of the different offerings that are presented by the people in order for the, the work of the city to function. So that work being specifically the temple, the priests, and everything else that's related to it. So what is our response? How do we respond to this? Our first response should be that the Bible is a trustworthy account of a real God caring for real people. That's what we see in this chapter. What we also see and receive from this is that we cannot live life being unsure of who our people are and what our purpose is. We need to know who our people are. If we look around us this morning, hopefully you all know this. If not, this is going to be a shock. We are each other's people. Don't be unsure of that and know what your purpose is in this group. And if you need help determining what your purpose is, I can, I can help you. And then you're called to give with an attitude that is equal and given an amount that is proportional. What does that mean? An attitude that is equal. If we think of the attitude in which we give, we're called to give consistently. We're called to be giving cheerfully. And we're called to give in an amount that's proportional. If I have been blessed, I want to give in a manner that is proportional to that blessing. And that's a you and God decision. That's never, if we ever get to a situation where I am telling you how much to give, that's me overstepping and I need to, to fix that. That is a you and God decision. And then finally, what we see here is when we strengthen the people of God today, 
that makes the people of God available to help us in the, the coming days. When I invest in, in the people of God, in my family, in our people, today, that makes our people available to help me tomorrow. Do you understand that? That, that there has to be some level of investment that takes place. Otherwise, there's nobody that's going to be around. Just like we see with Nehemiah, if, if that investment didn't take place, that city would have been empty and the, the enemies of the Jewish nation would have come and destroyed it again. When everyone is accounted for, we portray the heart of God that says that every single person matters. Every single person matters. And that's why the, this idea of just letting somebody go off and do their own thing, I, we, we have to love people too much to let them do that. That, that has to be our response. I love you too much to let you just go and disappear from this family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we ask that, that you would knit us together as a family, as a people, called by your name. God, we want to follow after you. We want to seek you. But Lord, we also want to draw those that don't know you, those that are falling away, that have fallen away. We want to draw those people back to you. God, that is the the cry of our heart, that is the, the instruction that you have given. And, and Lord, we receive that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 